Thank you for those who would come out to church on a Sunday night. Be faithful to your house, Lord. I pray you'd bless them for being here, that the Word of God would, would touch their hearts, Lord. And as we study the life of this great woman, Ruth, and we study the life of Ruth in the Bible, I pray you just help us to all be challenged by it and learn from it. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ruth chapter number 1. And if you look at verse number 1, you got to excuse me, I've got something, I've got some, like a tickle or something in my throat, so I'm going to do my best <clears throat> tonight. But we're there in Ruth chapter number 1, and the Bible says in, in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now, uh, last, last Sunday night I, I preached a sermon on, on the timeline of the Bible and, and showing you the context, and really the reason I didn't jump into the book of Ruth is because I wanted you to understand the concept of the context of Ruth. And I, I explained it last week, but you know, we, we, we pretty much have been preaching through the Bible in chronological order. We, uh, in the Old Testament, we started in Genesis, went to the book of Exodus, and it goes right in order. Uh, in the New Testament, we were in the book of John, and then we went right from that gospel into the book of Acts with the, the church there. And uh, studying the book of Ruth kind of jumps us out of that sequence, and we're going to have to do that. There's no way we're going to be able to preach through uh, the Bible in chronological order uh, unless you want to spend, you know, ten years just going through the prophets or something like that. You know, it's going to it's going to take a long time, so we're going to have to split it up. And I want you to understand, we talked about last week, how in Genesis we dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a family there. And they went down into Exodus, and they became a nation. And then Moses brought them out of Egypt, and Joshua led them into the Promised Land. And after the death of Joshua is when these judges, that's what the entire book of Judges is about, these judges uh, lived, and they would, they would come, and, and they would rule the nation of Israel for certain periods of times, and that's where we learn about Samson, and that's where we learn about Gideon. And that's where we learn about Barak and, and, and all those uh, great stories there. And I want you to understand that the book of Ruth is placed in that time frame. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So there's no kings. There's no you know kingdom. There's not much of an army really. There's, it's a society, but they're ruled by judges. And these judges are men who are, are picked by God and chosen by God to do great works. And the Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now you understand, Ruth chapter number one is the introduction, obviously, to the the life and story of Jude, uh, of Ruth. God introduces us to the characters. God introduces the plot and explains to us what's going on here, and, and, and by the time we get done finishing the life of Ruth, you'll understand why it was so important for us to learn from this, this woman and learn about her life, but I want you to just gather a few things. Tonight's just kind of an introductory sermon, bring us into the series of the life of Ruth, but I want you to gather a few things, there are a few things you can learn from this passage. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Shilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, you got to understand this. These people live in Bethlehem, Judah, and the Bible tells us that there's a famine in the land. The, the, the famine, a famine is talking to us about an uh, economic depression. Kind of like we're going 
through in America today, a recession or whatever you want to call it. There wasn't food there. The economy was bad there. They weren't able to live there. And the Bible tells us that there was a famine in the land and a certain man named Bethlehem, uh, uh, Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now here's what you got to understand, alright? Bethlehem Judah, does that name, does that phrase sound familiar to anybody? Who, who knows of a famous person that was born in Bethlehem? <laughs> That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Bethlehem, which is, Bethlehem's this town there, Judah's the, in our terminology, would be like the state, represents the will of God. Moab, on the other hand, represents the world. Often in scripture, as you read the Old Testament specifically, you'll find that these heathen nations, the nation of Moab, the nation of Egypt, the nation of uh, uh, the, the Philistines, and all these heathen nations, they often represent the world. Moab, I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but if, if you remember the story of Lot, remember Abraham and Lot, when, when Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah after God destroyed Sodom, and they, they were on that, uh, on that mountain by themselves, him and his two daughters, and they thought that the entire world had been destroyed. And do you remember that uh, incest, they had that sin of incest where Lot had children with his two daughters there because of drunkenness and because of sin and because of just being selfish and their two daughters had two sons one of those daughters her son was named Moab and he became the father of the Moabites that's where this nation came so you understand they didn't, the, the, the tradition of the nation of Moab is not a good tradition it's a heathen place and a heathen nation but I want you to understand that these people left Bethlehem, left Judah, and went to Moab. And look, everything in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. I don't believe anything is in the Bible just by accident or by mistake. Nothing's coincidental. Nothing's accidental. Nothing's incidental. It's all in there for a reason. And the Bible is very clear that there was a famine in the land. And this man left Bethlehem, Judah, which represents God's will, and went to Moab for this one reason, financial gain. He, he wasn't, his, his business was failing, he didn't have money, he didn't have, he didn't have the ability to be able to, to survive there, there was a famine. Let me tell you something, all throughout scripture you always find, when people move, when people do something for the wrong reason because of a famine, it's always the wrong move. And let me, let me show you that, just, and we're going to get somewhere with this, but I, I need to kind of lay this foundation. Go over to Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. And you got to understand this. What was wrong with Moab was not the physical location. In Genesis chapter number 12, we find a very famous story of Abraham. And if you remember Abraham, if you look at verse number 10, the Bible says, And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt. Does that sound familiar? He, Abraham goes down to Egypt because of a famine. Look what it says. To sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. For my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abraham was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman... 
that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife and all that he had. So here we find Abraham going down into Egypt because of a famine. And, and listen, what happens? He gets in trouble. He goes to a location he's not supposed to go to for a reason he should not be making a decision for. And he gets there and he lies and he gets in trouble and they call him on it and God sends a plague and all these things. Why? Because he was in a place he shouldn't have been. And by the way, do you remember Hagar? Who Abraham ends up committing adultery with and has a child named Ishmael who has a, who, who descendants are what we call Islam today? Hagar was picked up. She was an Egyptian maester and she was picked up on this trip. So this whole idea of, of Abraham going down into Egypt caused a huge ripple effect into even our society today. Because one man made one choice based on finances, based on the economy, based on there's a famine, so I'm going down to Egypt. Now here's the thing, here's the funny thing. You remember Jacob, Abraham's uh, grandson? Jacob also went down. To Egypt. Go with me to, and by the way, so uh, uh, Isaac moved because of a famine also. But go with me to Genesis chapter number 45. Jacob also went down to Egypt. Remember, Joseph got sold into slavery and was taken down into Egypt. And there was a famine in the land. And God, now, now here's the funny thing. Abraham goes down from Canaan land to Egypt. And God is upset with the situation. It turns out bad for Abraham. Jacob goes from Canaan land to Egypt, the exact same location, from the same location, for the same reason of famine. But it, God's blessing is on it. What's the difference? One was initiated and moved by God. The other one was moved by fear. You understand what I'm saying? You're there in, in Genesis chapter number 45. Look at verse number 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and we're jumping right into the story of Joseph, but this is when Joseph reveals himself to his, to his brethren. And he says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. That they, and they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. Notice what he says, For God did send me before you to preserve life. See, the difference between Abraham and Joseph and Jacob going down into Egypt is that God's the one who sent e uh, uh, Joseph to Egypt. Uh, just look real quickly at Genesis chapter number 50. Look at verse number 20. Genesis chapter number 50 and verse number 20. Genesis 50, 20 says, But as for you, again, this is Joseph speaking with his brothers. He says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Two men leave the same location, go to the same location for the same reason. One has God's blessing, one has God's curse for, because they went when one was being called and one wasn't. Go back to Ruth chapter number 1. See, you got to understand this. It's wrong to leave a place where you say, well, what was wrong with Moab? Well, here's what's wrong with Moab. Uh, go, go to Ruth. Uh, let me get there myself. Ruth chapter number 1. Look at verse... Joshua judges Ruth. Good night. 
Ruth chapter number 1. Look at verse number... Where do I want you to go? Look at verse number 6. We're going to jump a little bit. Naomi says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab... Now notice this. She heard in Moab... How about the Lord had visited His people and given them bread? Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. She was in Moab, and she heard in Moab that God visited His people. Now, when God visited His people, did He visit His people in Moab? No, He did not. Where did He visit His people? God visited His people in Bethlehem, Judah. Here's what you got to understand. And here's what you can learn from this passage. It's wrong to leave a place where there is the presence of God to go to a place where there is no presence of God. You know, and, and I hope I, I hope the Hudsons don't don't mind me saying this, but something that's encouraged me about the Hudsons as they've been uh, dealing with this move and stuff is that I've heard I've heard both of them say multiple times that they want to make sure they're making the right decision, and I've heard them say this multiple times. I even heard one of them say it today because they don't want to move based on financial reasons. And praise the Lord for that. Because let me tell you something: we ought, as Christians, we ought never make decisions based on money. If you say to me, Pastor, uh, uh, God is calling me to move to so-and-so town. And you say, and I say, well, well why do you feel God's calling you? Well, my, my company's going to promote me, and I'm going to get, you know, uh, a 10% raise. And here's the question I'm going to ask you. Is there a good church there? And you're going to say, well, I, yeah, I haven't really looked into it. See, here's, the problem is not that the famine was in uh, Bethlehem, Judah, and, and his business had dried up in Bethlehem, Judah, and, and he needed to do something to provide for his family. Because that's why we, ju- we justify things so easily. <laughs> the problem was that they went to a place where God's presence wasn't there. They went to a place where God's people weren't there. And when God wants to, let me tell you something, when God wants to meet... With you, he'll meet with you where God's people are. That's why that's why I'm against people skipping out on church. Because let me tell you something, God's not gonna meet with you down, you know. People say, Well, I, I can meet with God um, while I'm fishing. No, you can't. Because God's not gonna show up there. So well, where does God show up? Where the Spirit of God is. God shows up where God's word is, God shows up where God's people are. The problem with Moab, Elimelech, is not the location. The problem with Egypt. Abraham is not the location. It's that God's presence wasn't there. But see, when Joseph went to Egypt, God's presence wasn't there because God sent him there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's wrong to leave a place where there is the presence of God to go to a place where there is no presence of God. It's wrong to leave Bethlehem to go to Moab and here's the only reason. A better job. Here's the only reason. A better economy. Here's the only reason. I'll be close to my, closer to my family or closer there. Whatever your situation, you know, you ought to make your decisions like this based on where does God want me? Amen. Where does God, and, and, you know, where, where is God sending me? I said number one, it's wrong to leave a place where there is no presence of God to go to a place, uh, I'm sorry, where there is a presence of God to go to a place where there is no presence of God. Number two, I'd like you to look down at verse number three. The Bible says, so these people left Judah, went to Moab because of a famine. This man picks up his wife, picks up his children, and moves out of God's will to an area where God is not. And in verse 3, the Bible says, and Elimelech, this was the husband, Naomi's husband, look what it says, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, 
and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Shilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Let me tell you something. Not only is it wrong to leave a place where there is the presence of God, to go to a place where there is no presence of God. Number two, God will do what He must do to get you back in His will. And here's what I think is interesting. Who made the decision to move to Moab? I promise you it was Elimelech. You know how I know that? Because Elimelech died. You say, well, what, what can we learn from that? Here's what you got to understand. When God has a, when there's a situation in your life, let's just say, let's just, let's just use the, the application of the Bible. When there is a person in your life, Naomi, that brings you out of the will of God, God has no problem getting rid of that person in your life. See, you want to know why Pastor Jimenez will, will do everything he can to never skip church for work? I mean, to the point where I, I got done preaching this morning, I went upstairs, put on my work clothes, went out, worked for a few hours, and came back for church. And I'll do, I'll do that every Sunday if I have to for the rest of my life, but I'll never miss church for work. You want to know why? Because I need work. You understand what I'm saying? I, I need work. I've got a family. I've got a feed. And I don't want to put anything before God because I know how God works. And in Limelech, if you say, well, I'm the husband. These are my children. I'm making this decision. We're bringing them out of the will of God into the world. And God says, okay, Limelech, if that's how you want to do it, I have no problem getting rid of you if it means bringing your family back into the will of God. See, I don't want to put my job before God because he, job could, God could very quickly... Make me unemployed and say, okay, you got time for church now? You understand what I'm saying? See, so you say, well, well I've, got, I've got this going on and I've got that going on. Hey, you, well, I can't go to church because, because of my, my husband or because of my children. You know, people have to say, well, I, Sunday is family time. I've got my children. Look, I don't want to put my children before, between me and God. Because it doesn't hurt God to make my children go be with Him. You understand that? As far as God's concerned, that doesn't hurt Him. In fact, He probably liked that. But God says, okay, you're going to put your children... See, because here's what Elimelech was doing. He made himself an idol. And he made his family leave God's will because of him. And God says, okay, we'll get rid of you. What happens? His sons, obviously they're adult men, they get married. Look at verse 3. And Elimelech's Naomi's husband died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab... The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. These men obviously settled down, you know, put their root down. And by the way, let me tell you something. You know, so often parents who grew up in Judah, but raised their kids in Moab, and then wonder why their kids, you know, foundation is in the world. They wonder why they established their family in the world. So often grandparents wonder, why I want, you know, parents wonder, I wonder why my kids don't come to church. I grew them, I, I raised them to come to church, but they grew up and they don't come to church. Why? Because you know what? Honestly, you raised them in Moab. And that's where they settled down. And that's where they got married. And these boys stayed, even after the death of Elimelech, you think they would have got the hint and said, hmm, Elimelech told us to come here and God killed him. Why don't we go back? But these men had put a root down, they got married, so what did God do? Look at verse 5. And Malon and Shilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left, and her two sons, and her husband. Was left of her two sons and her husband. Let me tell you something. I said last week, as Christians, we do not play by the same rules that the world plays. 
You're going to have to get that through your head if you're going to understand the Christian life. You're not going to get away with the same things. And let me tell you something. The quickest way to, get, for, to have God take something from you is to put that between you and God. The quickest way to have God take something, you, you say, you, you say well, I just got this brand new boat. God blessed me with this boat. And I'm going to spend all day Sunday. You know, and then you, you go out and drive one day, the boat's gone. Let me tell you something. You want to lose something quick? Put that between you and God. Because God, see, God doesn't care if you're employed. You understand? See, here's what you understand. God never promised you a house. God never promised you money. You know what God promised you? He promised you clothing, and He promised you food. That's all He promised you. And He didn't promise you good food, and He didn't promise you good clothing either. The only thing God has to give you to be able to still be God is food and clothing. And I don't think in the United States of America anybody goes without food and clothing. But all these other things, you put them between you and God, and God says, Elimelech, okay, gone. Uh, his children, okay, gone. Because here's all God wants. He wants you and His will. That's it. Look at verse 6. And she arose with her daughters-in-law. That she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. So you got to understand that God, see, this all that you, you say, I'm going to leave Bethlehem, Judah. All God wants to do is get you back to Bethlehem, Judah. See, I'm going to leave church. All God wants to do is get you back in church. I'm going to leave Bible. All He wants to do is get you back. All you, see, the Bible tells us that you and I were created for His pleasure. To bring God fellowship. And when you come out of His fellowship, He says, all I'm going to do is do everything I can to get you back into fellowship with me. I said, number one, it's wrong to leave a place where there is the presence of God to go to a place where there is no presence of God. I said, number two, God will do what He must do to get you in His will. See, these points are kind of long. Hey, look, this morning they all started with P and they were short. So you gotta, you, you got to be thankful for that. Look at verse 3. Or, or number 3. Things that happen while you're in the world can be used of God. Let me tell you something. If you're an adult today... Every single one of us has been in the world, spiritually, at some point. And you know what I think is funny? Is that so often we look at everything that happened while you were in the world, and you look at that as a negative. You know, uh, uh, you, you talk to people who are married, and they're like, well, I got married before I was saved. And, or you talk to people who have been divorced, and they act like their whole marriage was just a complete, angry, fighting failure. They, you know, and you think to yourself, look, at some point you guys liked each other enough to say, I do. I mean... There has to have been a good time in there sometime, right? But people just act like, no, it was always bad, it was always a show, it was always like... And let me tell you something. Even when you're in Moab, good things can come from that. See, these two sons, verse 5, and Malon and Shileon died, also both of them, and the woman was left to her sons and her husband. I'm sorry, read verse 4. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Pay attention to this. These boys got married to women in Moab. This represents when they were not right with God. This represents when they were out of the will of God. This represents when they were not where God wanted them. But they got married. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. But let me tell you something. After they're gone, God can still use these women for His purpose. I mean, do you think Ruth ended up doing something great for God? There's a book of the Bible named after her. 
But see, you and I would act like, well, Ruth and Orpah, was, they, that was just a mistake. People say, you know, my children, I should have never had those children with that man. I should have never had those children with that woman. That was when I was on drugs. And that, let me tell you something. Whatever you did in your life, whatever it was while you're in the world, God can use it today for His good. You say, my marriage was made in a wrong way. God can use it. My family was made in a wrong way. My children were brought into this world in a wrong way. Whatever it was, God can use it. Let me prove it to you. Go over to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And I'd like you to see a very famous verse in the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 8. This is why I teach people, y'all not beat yourself up over the past. Y'all not beat yourself up over... Sin and mistakes you've made. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now let me, you need to understand this verse. It doesn't say, and we know that all things are good. Do you understand that? It says, and we know that all things work together for good. Do you understand the difference? See, I can promise you that Elimelech and Naomi and her two sons were in the wrong place at the wrong time and married the wrong women and God was still able to use those things for good. That's not to say that those things are good. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. The best example I've heard somebody use for this... uh, for this verse is this. Think about, you know, my wife makes these, the, these world-famous chocolate chip cookies. If you've never had one of my wife's chocolate chip cookies, you do not know what you're missing. And I feel sorry for some of you because you guys have all had them, like, after they get cold. I have them when they come straight out of the oven. I mean, those are two different things, okay? But, you know, I, I, you think about chocolate chip cookies, and think about, I have no idea what goes into chocolate chip cookies. If, I, if you ask me what's the recipe of, of a chocolate chip cookie, I would say... Chocolate chips and cookie. Because I don't know what else goes into them. But I, but I know that there's flour, right honey? Flour goes into them. Okay. Um, butter. Does butter go into it? Yeah. Salt. Sugar. Chocolate chips. <laughs> water. No water. Okay. Milk. Baking soda. Yeah, okay. Now let me, th- let me ask you something. Who has had one of my wife's chocolate chip cookies? Who thinks they're just delicious? Who would like one right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Who thinks that, who, who just thinks it would be so delicious to just take a spoonful of baking soda and just say, mmm, man, that is so good. Just a spoonful of baking soda, just eat it up. Would that be good? Does that taste good to you? Okay, who say, who say, you know what, I just want a, a tablespoon filled of salt. If I could just have a tablespoon of salt, that would be so delicious. Here's what I want. I want salt and milk. You know, who would say that? Obviously not. Who, who just want, I mean, even think about, I and mean, some of you, i got to try carefully, because some of you might actually like this, but who would really want just like a, like a half a cup full of sugar, and just like, eat it up? Some of you, no, confess your sins one to another. You, here's, a, now here's, here's the funny thing. Baking soda by itself is not good. Salt by itself is not good. Who just wants a, just a, a big handful of dry flour? I just love dry, you know, flour, just eat it up. It's not good, but here's the funny thing. You put them all together and they make a wonderful chocolate chip cookie. 
See, and here's what you're going to say. Your life and my life, you say, well, Pastor, when I was in my sin, I got married. Or when I was in my sin, I had this child. Or when I was in my sin, I made this decision. Or when I was in my sin, I took this job. Or when I was in my sin, and then all of those things by themselves are not good. But when you put them all together in the kitchen of God and let Chef God bring them together, He can make something very beautiful. All things are not good, but all things can work together for Baking soda in and of itself does not taste good. And flour in and of itself does not taste good. And salt in and of itself does not taste good. But you put chocolate chips, they'll taste good by themselves. But you put them all together, and you can make something that tastes good. But notice, look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. But that's not a blanket statement that God makes to anybody. Look what he says. To them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. Here's what I think is amazing is that a man, out of sin, goes to a place he should not go, takes his family there, they marry heathen women, and one of those women ends up being used of God in a mighty way, whose name was Ruth. And you say, well, how did that happen? Here's how that happened. All things work together for good. Say, even out of sin, even out of sin, God can bring something great. Even out of wrong decisions, God can do something great. See, you and I do not have an excuse. I'm a pastor, I can't serve God because of X, Y, and Z. No. Because God can take X, Y, and Z and make them be something beautiful. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited the people giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till ye were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And Naomi's finally going back to Bethlehem, and here's what she's saying to her daughters-in-law. She's saying, just go back to your families. Go back to Moab. I'm going to go to where God wants me. And here's what's interesting to me. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, and they said. The word they there is plural. Both Ruth and the other sister-in-law, Orpah, said, no, we'll go with you. Look at verse 10. And they said unto her, surely we will return with thee. Now here's what's the interesting thing. Who's ever heard, before tonight's sermon, who's ever heard of Ruth before? You've heard of Ruth, you've heard of the book of Ruth. Before tonight's sermon, has it, who's ever heard of Orpah? You know, and, and, and you know, do you think the average person just knows who Orpah is? Now here's the interesting thing. Orpah and Ruth are in the exact same situation. Are they not? Amen. They married two men that were born to uh, a man who's not right with God. But one grows up 
to do something great with her life. The other goes into history, not really knowing much about it. You say, well, what's the difference? Here's what you got to understand. The difference between an Orpah and a Ruth is this, is this one word, commitment. Look at verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Now look, Orpah was not a bad woman. She loved her mother-in-law. She kissed her. It hurt her to go back to her family. But notice the difference. But Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, and this is probably the most fam- one of the most famous words in the book of Ruth. Verse 16 says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Let me tell you something. The difference between an Orpah and a Ruth. Here's the thing. They both married men that served the God of the Old Testament. Jehovah God. The God of Bethlehem. The God of Judah. But one served God, while her husband was alive, the other said, no, I'm committed to this God. You know what makes a Ruth? A woman who will say, I don't care if my husband's dead. Your people are now my people. Your God is my God. Look at verse 17. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee in me. You want to know the secret to being a great person of God to be used greatly of God. Here's the, here's, the, here's the secret. The secret is this one word, commitment and consistency. You know that consistency? You know what made Paul such a great man of God? It's just being consistent. It's this word, faithful. See, doing the same thing week after week after week Day after day after day, year after year after year, for a long period of time, makes a great influence. Let's take this morning, for example. This morning, I feel like, I, like the sermon we preached was a sermon that could literally save a nation. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, I hope you understand that. But I think if, if our society got a hold of the truths presented this morning, they could literally change the country. Literally change this community. Now let me ask you a question. You think that... Sacramento is going to be turned upside down because I preached one sermon this morning? Probably not. How many people were in church this morning? 28? 29? But let me tell you something. What if there's a church where the man of God stands up and preaches the truth from God's word, not just one week, but week after week after week for decades? Do you think that could influence a nation? See, sometimes people think, sometimes people think, you know, when you, you talk about offerings, and people think like, well, I'm going to give this big old offering. I'm going to give $10,000 to the church. And, but then they never want to give anything else. Then you, the person who's just faithful with their tithe, and then you say, well, there's not much. Yeah, but you put it, if you're just faithful, you say, well, I only make $1,000 a month, and all I can do is $100 a week because that's what I make. Yeah, but you do that for years, you'll give way more than $10,000. You understand what I'm saying? There's a power in consistency, and there's a power in commitment, and what made Ruth a great woman, and what put Ruth into the you know, chambers of, 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 uh, of the Bible here, is that fact that she was committed, and she said, I don't care what you say, Naomi, your God is my God, your people are my people, I'm sticking with you. Look at verse 18. And when she saw 
that she was steadfastly minded. That's a good way to be described, by the way. Naomi looks at Ruth and she says, this woman is, this woman is determined. She's steadfastly minded. I'm not going to change her mind. I'm not going to talk her out of this. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. She said, I'm not, I'm not even going to try with her because I know she's just going to do what she ought to do. The difference between an Orpah is a different, and, a, and Ruth is a difference between commitment and a non-committed person. You want to know why you and I quit? And not like this morning, you know. <laughs> but quit like in the bad way? It's because we don't have commitment. We fail. Paul said that he was afraid that after preaching to others, he himself would be a castaway. You will do more in your life. You will accomplish more in your life. You'll be, you'll be used more in your life if you would simply say, I'm committed to this thing of God. I'm committed to the ministry of God. I'm committed to the Word of God. And I'm committed to God's people. And Naomi, where you go, I'm going to follow. Look at verse 19. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Now do you remember, do you recognize that, that phrase, that uh, terminology, Mara? Go with me real quickly to Exodus chapter 15. You already blurted it out. I know you know it. Amen. I'm just kidding. Exodus 15, look at verse number 13. Pastor, if you don't want us answering questions, don't ask questions. That's true. Exodus 15, look at verse 13. Exodus 15, 13, look what it says. Mm, That's not where I want to go. Exodus... Where am I? What did I write down? 15, 23, that's what I meant. The two... It was a one. Exodus 15.23 And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. I just wanted to bring that up to you because it was interesting. We were just in Exodus 15 uh, last week or no, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night. That's where she's making a reference to. And she says, look, don't call me, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She says, because I'm bitter. Now here's what's very interesting. Go back to Ruth chapter 1. We're almost done. Look what it says. So they, look at verse 19. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Remember verse 13? Look at the last part of verse 13. She said, That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Look at verse 21. And I went out, notice what she says. She says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Now I gotta ask you this question, Naomi. I thought you were leaving Bethlehem because you were broke. I thought you were leaving Bethlehem because of a famine. Why is it now that over ten years later, when you're coming back to Bethlehem, you say, you know what? Thinking about it, when I left, I left full. And now that I'm coming back, I'm coming back empty. See, here's what you can understand. The Bible says, what shall a prophet of man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and you and I so often make decisions based on finances. And we make decisions based on money. And we make decisions based on monetary gain. And we make decisions based on what we want to do and how we want to spend our time. And then you realize, like Naomi did, that it didn't matter if I lived in Moab, in a nice house, with a nice car, with a 401k, if I lost my family because of it. 
She says, see, really in the will of God is where I was full. And now I'm coming back empty. And let me tell you something. You can, as a Christian, live a better life. She says, the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. God doesn't want to. There's joy in the Christian life. I used to have a pastor who would say this phrase often. He said, the key to God's blessing comes through the door of obedience. Like we preached on Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, God promises you prosperity. God promises that He will prosper you. But you've got to play by His rules. You've got to do it His way. The key to God's blessing comes not through the door of whatever you want to do. It comes through the door of God's obedience. Look at verse 20. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home, again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now here's what I want you to get, understand this, and we're done right here. Let's go with me real quickly to Ruth, chapter number 4. You say, well, what's the big deal about this Ruth? Pastor, why are we going to spend the next four or five weeks studying the life of Ruth? I've read Ruth before. I don't really understand what the big deal is. Here's the, here's the big deal. Here's what you've got to understand. Just look real quickly. Ruth chapter 4, look at verse 16. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became, and became a nurse unto it. And, the, and you'll understand this when we get to it. And the woman, her neighbor gave it name saying, There is... A son born to Naomi, and they called the name Obed. Now here's what I want you to get, understand. This son Obed was the son of Ruth, who married a man in, in, in the book of Ruth because of her obedience to God. Now here's what I want you to understand. Ruth came back with Naomi to Bethlehem, married a man, and had a son named Obed. Look at the last part of verse 17. Obed, he is the father of Jesse. You say, well, who's Jesse? Well, maybe you recognize this name. The father of David. Do you see that? See, here's what you understand. You know who Ruth was? The grandmother of David. You know who David was? One of the greatest men who ever lived. You know who Jesus Christ was? You know the one that was born in Bethlehem? That's a connection, by the way. He's going to reign for a thousand years on the throne of David. Ruth was used of God to bring us the Messiah. Because David was the son, because Jesus was the son of David. He came from his lineage. Now here's what you got to understand. You and I would say, well, Ruth was brought into the family out of sin. She'll never work out. That, that relationship will never work out. I can't go back to that. That was bad. And God says, no, you know what? All things work together for good. God says, Ruth, you married her in Moab? She's a descendant of Lot. That's okay. Get her back to God's will, and we'll make it work. See, here's what you got to understand. Here's the beautiful thing about the life of Naomi. Because Naomi is really the introduction to the book of Ruth. But here's the beautiful thing about the life of Naomi. You can mess up and come back to Bethlehem, Judah, and God will use you. God will bless you. God will help you. God will be with you. But here's what you got to understand. The key to God's blessing comes through the door of obedience. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Lord, and thank you for the book of Ruth. And I understand that tonight's sermon was more of an introductory sermon. 
just kind of introducing us to the concept of Ruth and what we're going to be studying. But Father, I do ask that you'd please just bless this time as we study it, as we study your word, Lord. Please help everybody here to be mature enough to learn from the Bible and learn from the scriptures and be able to apply it to their lives, Lord. Help us to grow and become better people. In your precious name I pray. Amen.